what is up guys me and uh me and kent are still living and we still exist and as far as last time i checked uh, we're still breathing so i promise we haven't went anywhere but we're going to be back for a long overdue uh, another installment of the around georgia podcast with once again a mr candler cook better known as the cinderella story of cinderella stories in the college football world and uh, he is going to uh, he's going to join us again and and last time we kind of talked about a story this time we're going to go over the draft that's about to begin here in a few minutes and uh, we're going to see uh, live what the reaction is to maybe the potential of having a bulldog drafted first and uh, and we're going to talk about uh, what we noticed at the spring game and 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 what we uh, and what we what we think is going to be uh, around for the upcoming the upcoming football season so. Um, if, uh, if you guys are uh, ready, then uh, we're going to go ahead and get this thing started. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get Kindler on really quick, and let's see if we can go ahead and get him added to the chat. What's up? Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, doing well. Man, uh, we are so pumped to have Candler back on the podcast by the way, the pick is in for the Jaguars, man. Do you think this? You think this is going to be a bulldog right here? I think so. It's been quite a uh, wild ride trying to determine who is going to be the first overall pick. After a month ago, it seemed pretty obvious that it'd be Aiden Hutchinson, but I think Trayvon Walker's done enough that hopefully he'll be the first pick. I think he's coming to the podium right now. Yeah. All right, we're about to find out. This is so exciting. I mean. It's been since, what, 2007? It's been 15 years since Stafford went first round. Wow. They did. They went Trayvon Walker. They did. They did. They did. And so the first Georgia Bulldogs since. Matthew Man, Stafford. that's awesome. <laughs> that's University of Georgia. Time. That's so cool seeing yeah. Georgia yeah. at the bottom of the screen next to the number one draft pick in the nation. That's, that's so cool. He that, that shows how good of a combine he had, though. He must have had a really good combine. Yeah, I mean, either that or he was just – I mean, he must have really blew these scouts away. I haven't, I haven't really been watching the combine. Did you? I mean, uh, did you? No, I mean, I of course heard all the stats about Jordan Davis. Holy cow! Yeah. But right. anyways, <laughs> well, we got you on here because we want to talk about Georgia football, and we're gonna definitely celebrate the fact that a dog was number one overall. I mean, that just doesn't happen every year. But uh, tell me, what what do you think about the old G Day game? How much of it did you get to watch? I'm sure you at least went back and watched the whole thing if you didn't there at the beginning um but what did you see that kind of stuck out to you and uh what gets you excited about the 2022 rendition of the georgia bulldogs yeah i thought it was a really interesting game there were a lot of young guys that are very talented but that just haven't had a lot of reps they were getting some of their um their first really good look out there in sanford stadium so that was exciting to see um i would say a few takeaways that i had was one the tight end depth is incredible. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of a, a college team having that many talented tight ends in one room together. Um, I love seeing Darnell Washington get some targets, especially in the red zone. And Oscar Delp is going to be a name to watch. I think he's going to make some big waves this fall um, as, as a tight end to the point where we may need to have one or two tight ends split out a receiver almost every play so we can still have another one or two tight ends lined up next to the tackles and then I would say um, another takeaway is the future looks bright at quarterback Um, you know everyone knows 
Stetson Bennett's story now and how we're uh, grateful to have him for his sixth year. And so it'll be a year from now when Georgia really needs a quarterback to step up. And it was great to see Carson Beck look sharp. He's really been patient and waiting his time. And uh, Gunnar Stockton looked really talented, still kind of figuring things out. So that was interesting to see. Now, I've got to ask you this because I want to hear your perspective on this too. There are a lot of people, and I don't get this because, I mean, the guy won us a national championship. But there are a lot of people that are still quick to say, oh, no, we got to look to Carson Beck next year. We got to look to Gunnar Stockton, which I, I don't know how someone coming in, you know, being a first year in the program could be better than someone who's been studying this program for near half a decade now. But, um, yeah, so, well, he, he left and came back. But um, what what do, would you say to those folks who maybe say, you know, hey, we should, we should be looking elsewhere for a quarterback and, and still have some, I don't know, hesitancy towards the guy who led us to a national championship? Well, I kind of see both sides. People tend to overreact. Everyone's obviously really passionate about college football, particularly in the SEC. Um, I think fans realize we're going to need more and maybe even a lot more out of our offense next year than what we were um, got from it this year. The offense was still – it was very good last year. Um, however, it wasn't elite. The defense was you know, probably the best defensive unit that – any team in college football's had in the last quarter century at minimum. And I still expect our defense to be great, probably still a top three defense in the country, but they're probably going to give up seven to 10 points more per game than they did last year. And so people realize we're going to need more out of our offense. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll need a different quarterback, but it will likely mean that we're going to need to throw the ball more and you definitely want to keep our complement of receivers and tight ends happy. So I think you may see some different wrinkles on offense. Um, I think it may be too much of a snap judgment to say that we need a different quarterback. But at the same time, it's great that Carson Beck is out there looking solid because whether it's this year or next year, we need him. We, we need someone else to play quarterback a year from now at the very latest. So you'd like to know that it's someone that's ready and that has hopefully taken a few game reps this fall, even if it's when we have larger leads, so that we're not just throwing someone to the Lions in their, uh, you know, the first game as a starter next fall. Well, and like I know, I know last season. I mean, if you really think about Stetson, he never really had to be great. He never really had to be elite. The only game that I can think of where, and we talked about this the last time that we got uh, got you on the on the podcast with us, but the only game he really had to be great last season to where the defense really wasn't doing their half and we were relying heavily on the offense to score points was the SEC championship against Alabama. And so obviously that game didn't have a good outcome. Stetson didn't have a good game. And just the team team as a whole, particularly the offense, didn't have a good game as well as the defense. But Stetson never really had to be great. And so it really brings up the question where, if you have a team where you don't have an elite defense, you don't have the best defense, like you said, of the last 25 years uh, lining up on the other side of the ball, and you don't have that kind of, like, safety net really to, to fall back on, does – I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not doubting Stetson because, like Kent said, he, he won a Cincinnati, and there's something to be said about that regardless of what happened on the defensive side of the ball. But um, if, if there comes a season like what we could potentially be seeing this fall to where we have – 
a defense that's great. It's a very good defense, talented defense like it will be. But it's going to give up 14, 20, 21 points a game where you have to score more points. Does he have what it takes to, to score those points? I mean, I I think that he does. But you have to also understand that we have we have the hardest – I mean, the SEC's it, it, that's the best that there is in college football. And so, if uh, if you don't bring your A game every week against the SEC, then – uh, then, then they're going to push those limits. So, to your point, yeah, twenty. I think it'll be mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how much or if Stetson improves from last year to this year. Because um, if you look at a storyline that really didn't get enough ten- attention is that Stetson improved a lot from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. I mean, in the games that he was thrown in in twenty twenty, maybe with the exception of Arkansas and Auburn, after those two games. He really struggled mightily. There were times where he looked lost when we played at Alabama. Um, it really took mm-hmm. us two and a half quarters to get going against Tennessee that fall. Mm-hmm. And um, he did start off well against Florida before um, hurting his shoulder. But he didn't that year look like a quarterback capable of winning a national championship. But he worked hard and improved a lot over the offseason. So I'm interested to see, can he take another step and improve this fall and I think um, what, you, what we just talked about will really be an interesting storyline that will actually be a topic of discussion all season. And here's the reason why. Georgia has arguably the easiest regular season schedule of my entire lifetime next year. After week one, we may not see another ranked team until the SEC championship. It's possible that someone like a Kentucky or a Tennessee overachieves and we see one more ranked team but this is not the typical gauntlet that Georgia usually sees so we may actually have a lot of blowout wins um, where our defense is is giving up very few points so I I think we're going to learn a lot about next year's offense and about Stetson once we get to the SEC championship and hopefully the playoffs so he'll have have quite a, a long amount of time to tune up with these new receivers and running backs and uh, I think that'll be an interesting point of discussion for sure for sure it will be I, I didn't realize that you know I've, I've looked at the schedule and I'm sure that Kent has too but uh, I, I didn't even think about the not facing that heavy of competition like normal I didn't think about that even even really being a factor but I mean you're right the only only real tough team we play is Oregon as far as and, right. and here's the thing whenever we say ranked you know 20 25 is ranked you know, 20 is ranked. But when, when I think of ranked teams, even though technically that's still a ranked team, I'm thinking about your your top 10, maybe even your top 15, because that's going to be where your real test happens. Even if Georgia's facing a, you know, number 18, number 20 team, there's not many people that are going to expect that we're going to really struggle against a team like that. So whenever we're thinking about ranked teams, we're talking about your Alabamas, your uh, – your. I know Auburn hasn't been like themselves lately, but, you know, Years going back, even whenever you played, they were they were the team to beat for several years. And so, uh, a, a lot of your teams in the SEC are rebuilding right now. And if there's ever a time where, where it's going to be fit for Georgia to to take away the crown from Bama and really it just be a two dog fight, it's now because everybody's rebuilding. So it really is. Normally, Auburn and Florida are ranked, if not highly ranked, opponents every year. And both of them are, are really at about a generational low point in talent. So those two usually add greatly to our strength of schedule. And then at times we'll draw a very tough team out of the SEC West. And um, nothing against Mississippi State, but they're, I would say, you know, 
probably the favorite to finish last in the SEC West. So that's an easier game than we could have drawn. So it just shapes up to be an easier schedule and Georgia usually has to deal with. How uh, concerned do you think Georgia fans should be of the possibility of uh, uh, Tennessee being someone that it really overachieves, you know, they're a team that I, I believe is definitely on the up and coming. They're, they're trending in the right direction. Josh Hype is a good coach. He, he's doing I some pretty he's good, good stuff this, uh, th- this past year he did. And I'm not going to lie, when I watch a Georgia football game, I'm the most pessimistic person that you can possibly be around. And so there for the first half of the Georgia-Tennessee game. I can game, vouch for that. Yeah. I was <laughs> the most miserable person to be around for that first half of the Georgia-Tennessee football game. I remember I was at uh, – at the time it was my future brother-in-law, now my brother-in-law, but I was at his bachelor party, uh, and we're watching that game. And they were, like, begging me to leave <laughs> by halftime because I just kept saying, yep, oh, Tennessee's going to win. Because it seems like every year, I mean, even going back to 2020 and to 2019, it, it always seems like they get a good start against us. Um, when do we need to start being worried about some of those other teams at the SEC East, like like Tennessee, uh, South Carolina even? I mean, they've got some good leadership. I feel like they're going to eventually be back in the conversation. Probably not this year. Um, Florida's – gonna be back like let's just be real like this year i i don't know if they'll get to a bowl game but they're gonna be back when does georgia need to worry about the possibility of you know not just being able to beat up on everybody in the sec east anymore or do you see that even being a threat in the next or not century the next uh, the next day no not at all (laughs) yeah i you know you have to take everyone seriously like you guys mentioned it's the sec Um, I don't really see anyone being a consistent threat to win the East this fall. That doesn't mean that someone can't have one great game and have one close game against Georgia, but I I think this will be an easier path to win the East than Georgia's had in a long time. Who knows what it looks like a year from now with the transfer portal and some of the success recruiting that uh, teams like Tennessee's had, but also some of the development success that Mark Stoops had at Kentucky with turning some two and three stars into um, you know, potential first-round draft picks. Who knows about that? But for Tennessee, my answer would be I'll believe it when I see it. I, I think they have, you know, about as much hype as they had had um, every year since 1998 um, going into this fall. Um, they, they kind of, in a way, remind me of a Texas. They're someone that's always going to get a good look in the preseason polls and then just not really be able to do it on the field. So I think they'll – They'll possibly be a better team than last year, but I see an eight and five type season. Um, I I think that they're not ready for Georgia or Alabama yet. But in addition to that, they have a very tough road trip at Pitt, who returns almost everyone except their quarterback, and they picked up just a gem in the transfer portal and Keaton Slovis from USC. So I think Pitt will be a very tough team. I think Tennessee having to play at LSU will be a very tough matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if that was. Um, one of Brian Kelly's first night games as LSU coach. So they, they've, as always, Tennessee just have a schedule. So they, they could very much be a, uh, an improved team and still go eight and five or seven and six. Yeah. That's a very good point. It's kind of hard to measure success when you're rolling through a gauntlet like that on a regular basis. I mean, right. you're, you're just playing these teams that – that are just going to beat up on you because they're all teams. And if not the team, they're, they're coaches that are talking about 
being in the college football playoff either recently or wanting to be in it in the near near future. I mean, LSU, yeah, they, I mean, they they've dropped off big time, but you can't deny the fact that they're making big steps in their program with their coaching hires, even if he pronounces family weird. Um, <laughs> family. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're trying, though, you know. Um, just as hard as Brian Kelly is with the accent. Yeah. But, um, so that's that's definitely going to be um, kind of fun to, to watch because I think the SEC East is, is definitely going to make a comeback. Um, it's just a matter of – Right. When, but uh, well, and you know, Kurt Kerbstreit. I've heard him. Uh, I've heard him kind of touch on this a little bit. But as we're talking about all these different teams that, that that are that are rebuilding and 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 have these new coaches, and it just always seems like it's a carousel. He's. I've heard him speak on that before. And the way that college football has kind of became conditioned to be over the years, and I think I think it's in large part due to coaches like Saban. Uh, you have coaches like obviously Dabo Sweeney and 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 you're 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 what you consider elite coaches uh, for multiple seasons. I, I mean I think Kirby's elite, but I'm I'm partial. So, but either way, you have you have all these elite coaches. I think that have made college football in general. I feel like ten years ago, college football teams weren't so fast to to give the head coach a boot because I mean how, how many head coaches do we have within either their first year or their second year? as a head coach in the SEC right now this coming season. And and so it, it really shows just how short of a fuse. They, everyone says the NFL is like stands for what, not for long. But it, it really <laughs> feels like that way with college football head coaches because I feel like the, the leash is so short. And it takes years and years and years. Kirby's first year at Georgia, what did he go, like seven and five or something like that? And we, we went to like – I can't remember what Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl, that's right. Liberty Bowl. Yeah, and, and, and beat TCU. Right. Right. I mean – that wasn't a disappointment of a year. I'm not saying it was a disappointment, yeah. but but what I'm saying is you you have to give a coach years. It takes so long. And Candler, I'm sure you know this better than any of us, but it takes so long to develop a new because when you have a new, a new head coach, everything that you have learned beforehand is pretty much out the window and you are starting fresh. Every everything from uh from from your what your team does on that on a weekly basis, how you prepare for games. Uh, coaching style, how how you play, everything is new, and so it takes so long to learn a new. You have a new offense, you have a new diva, because typically you'll have new coordinators that come with those new head coaches, and so everything is so new. It takes a bare minimum, I would think, probably three four years at the minimum, to become comfortable in a new system like that. And I just feel like college football as a whole has 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 became so quick to just say, well, you know, we're we're not winning national championship in the last four years, three years, and so we're going to give you the boot because clearly you don't have what it takes. I'm not saying every coach can win a national championship, but what I'm saying is are we really giving them enough time to develop a program to even see if they could get to that point at this point? So, now Yeah, I, just, I don't think – you know, I, I think you're exactly right, and I, I think the answer in a lot of cases is no. Um, you look at how quick LSU was to let go of Ed Orgeron um, less than two years after he won a national title – a lot of other schools don't seem as patient. It seems like every three years, Tennessee gets a new coach. Um, so it's pretty rare that you have a school that does have the patience to let a coach build a program. Um, I guess a good exception to that would be Michigan really gave Jim Harbaugh a long leash to build that program. <laughs> and it, it paid off for them. Um, but not everyone catches 
lightning in a bottle right at the beginning and, and starts winning right off the bat. It does take time to do that. But then once you have an elite coach, you need to go ahead and, and give them raises as much as you can and um, and keep them happy because they're, you know, they're worth their weight in gold in terms of trying to help win a championship. I saw um, one stat the other day that uh, mentioned that uh, Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, Luke Fickle, and Jim Harbaugh are a combined 0-7 against Kirby Smart. So I, I think it's pretty clear at this point in time that, you know, Georgia has a winner and we're glad that, um, you know, Kirby's a dog through and through and, and wants to stay at Georgia. So it's, it's, it's almost equally important after your patient, once you know that your coach is a winner, you keep them happy. I mean, look at um, Lincoln Riley bolting, you know, Oklahoma <laughs> after a handful of years. I mean, Oklahoma was in the playoff. I mean, a, a, about every other year and he's leaving to go to a school that hasn't won 10 games in a long, long, long time. So it's almost anything can happen. It's really important to make the right head coaching higher and then keep him happy. Absolutely. And he, he, he really burned a bridge <laughs> with that one. It, it wasn't, and it was similar to what happened with Brian Kelly uh, whenever he was at Notre Dame, because Notre Dame, I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and Kent agrees with me and, and I don't know if you would or not, Candler, but uh, Notre Dame got put in the playoffs year after year after year and then got pummeled <laughs> year after year after year. Well, and even before then, I mean, it was them getting put in the national championship game. And then just get pummeled in the national championship And game. getting beat like they were right. some raggedy high school team right. from – Right, right, right. And so, the Brian Kelly left a lot of the same the same type of ways as Lincoln Riley. I mean, he, he at least did talk with his team <laughs> with a little bit more detail beforehand. Uh, but, but it, you know, it was, it was essentially a situation to where he was out – Without warning, said, "Hey guys, I'm uh, I'm going to another team. See ya." And and really, just like Lincoln Riley, he had a successful program at Notre Dame, championship or not, uh, especially for them being an independent team and not belonging to any conference, and to be able to to maintain as much traction as Notre Dame had season after season. So I think that that Notre Dame is is a reason for that, and 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 Oklahoma all the same. That you have to keep keep your coaches happy and and make them want to continue continue uh to to stay with you because at the end of the day if if you can have a team anywhere else in the country that can can write a larger check and uh can even if the coach feels like he'll be just as equally as happy then he's going to go where the money is and so you uh you got to take care of your coach that's for sure you really do and you know an older example that rings true and kind of in a way helps start and accelerate all this is i think of um brett bielema i mean he was winning Rose Bowl after Rose Bowl at Wisconsin and left to go, you know, essentially be an SEC West doormat just because Wisconsin wasn't willing to invest in their facilities or in their assistant coaches like Arkansas was. I mean, this arms race is just one thing after another. Everyone's renovating their stadiums. Everyone needs um, brand new facilities every three years. It's, It's an incredible time. And now with NIL, um, the you know the coaching game is really changing and and coaches that were a good fit you know five years ago the game may have passed them by now yeah for sure for sure um and and I know that so kind of we, we, we kind of went on a little bit of a of a coaching direction so kind of reeling back in a little bit more towards like the the UGA uh to, to the spring game uh, to what to what we saw there. So, kind of observation. Me and Kent, we we both went to the GA game. You were there too, right, Kenley? 
I was not. I watched it afterwards since it was a uh, a holiday weekend. But that's um, right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. It was important for me to watch it, but no, I was not there in person. Right. So, and well, when when we were at the game, something that I noticed, and I mean, this is just a standard for all your spring games, is uh, obviously when, when Stetson was in at quarterback. Whenever he was on the, was it the black team that Stet was on, and uh, was it black or red? I can't remember. Either way. <laughs> I think it was black, but either way, uh, Stet was the quarterback, and he was on the first-team offense, and he lined up against first-team defense, and then whenever the ball switched sides, second-team, second-team, so on and so forth. And Carson Beck, a lot of people were saying how, how good Carson Beck looked, and he did look good. Uh, however, the thing about spring games, you always have to remember what kind of competition he was up against. Now, our second-string guys, our third-string guys, our, even our fourth-string guys at UGA could, could start on almost any other school in the country uh, outside of the SEC. Uh, however, you, you do have to be sure that you that you remember that whenever you're <laughs> – whenever a- a- anyone's talking about how good Carson looked because he did look good, but he wasn't playing starters. Stets was playing starters. So it's it's all relative compared to whatever competition uh, that, that, that you went up against. Then Gunnar Stockton the same way later in the game because Gunnar Stockton, they didn't put him into what, what was it, halfway through the fourth quarter whenever they put him in or something like that. And um, and when they put him in, he looked pretty good as well. But at that point, that was uh, the, you know, that's at the end of the game, and that's as the, as the clock's winding down, and 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 generally, he's not seeing quite the same um, skill level necessarily uh, that obviously Stetson would have seen at the beginning. So so really, it's all relative. Uh, is is if you're comparing apples to apples uh, from how each quarterback looked against the competition that he faced, but. Uh, but overall, you know, I, I think everybody looked good. The defense is the biggest – I have a bigger question mark for the defense than the offense just because we're having to replace so many people on defense. And so many people are, are, are graduating and, and going to the NFL, and, and, and we, we have a lot of shoes. Now we do have a lot of guys staying. Mm-hmm. Can't you might help me remember these names, but I know we got Nolan Smith, obviously, is staying. Um, on defense? On defense, yes. And then we have – I mean, there, there, there's a few names, right? Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, Jalen I mean, Carter could be an All-American this Jaylen year. Jalen Carter. That's the one, 88, right? Jalen Carter and uh, Keely Ringo. Obviously, he's going to be back next season. Um, and so, we, we are returning some guys, but but really it's, it's not so much about who's returning as much as it's about what shoes that we're going to have to fill. And so, I think that the, the G-Day game, instead, everyone always looks at the quarterback position. Oh, you know, who's going to be the starter next season? And, and you know, who's going to be the future after that? But but really, I, I – I spent a lot more time observing the defense just because of all the holes that we're having to fill more so on defense than we did on offense. So, Yeah, that will be interesting to see. There there are some holes and some room for people to step up on defense. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Georgia's secondary looks because um, we're going to need a second corner to step up. We will have one of the best, if not the best, nickelbacks in the country with Tyke Smith being healthy and coming mm-hmm. back. So that'll be a, a blessing to finally get to see him play. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the defense looks like. There, There's a ton of talent there, um, and they'll, they'll have to face a pretty fast-paced offense in Oregon right off the bat. But then after that, they'll have quite a long time to kind of grow into form um, and get ready for the postseason and kind of flesh out the pecking order at the top to see who's going to get the most snaps. Right, right. And this is going to be our first year with the new because – um, Dan Lanning is 
the head coach at Oregon, as fate would have it. And so yeah. we're going to face him in game one. And so I feel bad. Uh, and so we're going to have a, <laughs> yeah. And so we're going to have a, uh, we're going to have a brand new, you know, D, D coordinator out there and, and have, have to learn. A, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it'll, it'll be, you probably shed more light on this than we can, Candler, but um, I don't know if it'll be a completely new system because I thought in this situation, uh, you can't really improve on well, what we had last too, though, I mean, how so. much did Dan Lanning really get to, say what was going on i'd imagine that it's it's kirby's defense and he just hires right. the guy who can see it and put it together and put it right on the field. and you also had muschamp who's an analyst and i'm sure he had he had some some uh in, input on that so but it, it'll be it'll be really really a new a new system regardless of of if they keep some some staff guys from last year and 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 you know i know that I'm assuming Muschamp is staying, right? I mean, no one except Landing is leaving from the defensive side of the ball, correct? Um, I believe – I'm trying to think. I can't remember if there was one other assistant that did. I think maybe the secondary coach did. But I know that Georgia's going to run the same defense they ran last year. There's a reason that they didn't even bother to look at external candidates before promoting Glenn Schumann and right. Champ. They're running the same defense. Correct, correct. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking. Muschamp – Muschamp's a good defensive mind, mind all on his own. He's a he can be an odd guy sometimes, but, but still he's still a uh, he's he's a, he's a good defensive mind, and 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 obviously that's going to be that's going to be Kirby's mo. So I, the coaching will be there, and as good as Georgia recruits year after year after year, the talent will be there. It's just about connecting those and filling the gaps because when you when you do have so many guys that leave, it's and especially when you have a new coordinator, it's essentially like turning the page and starting over and so trying to trying to even come close to matching what we had last season there's gonna be big expectations right I can fill those shoes um now i kind of want to come full circle because we just talked about a little bit of recruiting george is definitely going to have an easier time recruiting now i, I just I, i've got to believe it um stat of the day did not know this until just now georgia is now tied with notre dame oklahoma and usc that's Southern California, not USC Junior, South, uh, South Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> but Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and USC with the most first overall draft picks in the NFL uh, with five. Um, and so I wanted to go back. I actually just looked these up um, to look at these names because I, I was I was trying to think of who it could have been. And uh, so this was pretty cool. 1945. A Georgia running back, or no, I'm sorry, before then, 1943, a Georgia running back um, went was Georgia's first to go uh, first overall in the NFL draft, Frank Sinkwich. And then the next one was in 1945, Charlie Trippy. Mm -hmm. The next one was in 1953, Harry Babcock, a running back. I'm not gonna lie, I've not ever heard of this guy. I've name. never heard that name. <laughs> That's first. Um, the next one, it was 56 years later. 56 years until our next number one overall draft pick, uh, which was 2009. Earlier I said 2007. That's when he came to Georgia. Um, 2009, 13 years ago, Matthew That's Stafford sad. went first of uh, overall. And then now uh, we've got, of course, uh, Trayvon Walker going number one overall. How cool is that? 
Yeah, that is a very cool stat. I, I didn't realize, um, you know, the the middle one, Babcock, I, I'm not familiar with him as much as the other guys um, who all had pretty illustrious UGA careers. Right. I did see that um, this is the first time in history that for three consecutive years, the um, uh, national champion has had a uh, – has gone on to be a first overall pick um, starting with Joe Burrow. And then last year, Trevor Lawrence, who didn't win it in the same year, but he was definitely a national champion in college. Hmm. And now Trayvon Walker um, going first. So there, there's some cool history already being made. And I'm sure a lot more that will be made in the next uh, few days. Absolutely. And I remember, I remember the days whenever really whenever me and you were growing up, Kent to where, I remember the thought of a defensive player going the number one overall pick was just outrageous, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure that you can you can bring light to this, Candler, being that that you were on defense uh, at Georgia, but it used to be like, okay, what quarterback is going to be number one pick? <laughs> because that that's always what it was, and you know, with, with with everything else set aside, the fact that a defensive player was number one pick, I'm not, I mean, it it happens, but it's rare. Yeah. And so a defensive player going first overall in general uh, is is alone pretty pr- pretty impressive because everyone always goes after a quarterback, wide receiver, running back after a major skill position uh, player, and so that 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 in and of itself is is a pretty cool stat. Yeah, uh, yeah, it really is, and I I think the NFL has shifted slightly in the positions that they value the most to where now the number one overall pick is pretty much exclusively one of three positions. There can be some exceptions, but these are rare. It's now not only just a quarterback, but it can be an offensive tackle, preferably a left tackle, and it can be a defensive end. And I think that has come to pass with really the evolution of the NFL into such pass happy league. Um, Right. You know, that running the ball, there's been an emphasis taken off of it. And so running backs tend to get drafted lower. But the only two other positions that really come to mind is even now today, frequently getting drafted number one overall are offensive tackles and defensive ends. So that is interesting to see. But I think it was helped this year. And we're going to see so many defensive players at the top because this is about a historically weak quarterback draft class. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, surprising Um, just kind of the lack of talent at the top. And I think a lot of NFL teams are going to want to take a home pass or someone else, or even a Keaton Slovis or someone next year. Right. For sure. And it it, it has been shifting that way. I remember the first, uh, the first defensive player that I can remember as a kid uh, growing up, uh, hearing about, as being a possible Heisman Trophy finalist. You remember Kent, you probably remember him way back in the day. I'm, I'm sure you remember him, Kendler Cook. But uh, Glenn Dorsey. Oh, yeah. You remember him? Played for LSU way back in the day. And uh, and I remember he was in the talks for a uh, for the Heisman Trophy. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of a, of a defensive player, period, ever being considered. Now, you know, you had Jordan Davis this year that was that was in the running for it and, 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 and all these – over the years, you had Aiden Hutchinson as well this year uh, in the conversation. So, you know, the NFL shifting that way, and it's almost making college shift that way as well to where you're, you're having more than, than what was considered your traditional skill position players uh, as, as, as much emphasis brought on brought on to them as, uh, as what there was in the past. So, Yeah, I agree. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, so. 
Man, well, that's been this has been absolutely a blast. Thank you so much for uh, coming back on the podcast, and uh, glad that we were able to chat with you for a little bit. I know we were trying to get Clayton on here too at the same time; it just did not quite pan out. So we're going to get him on another time, hopefully here in the next week or so, um, and we'll talk some uh, NASCAR, of course, with him too, because uh, NASCAR season's been getting pretty good. Uh, Candler, I didn't ask you this last time we were hanging out with you. You you keep up with any NASCAR? I do not. I'm I'm very new on the NASCAR scene. I I think it's exciting, but um, I don't have anywhere near the detailed knowledge for that that I do football <laughs> or some other sports. <laughs> it's it's a lot for sure, and it's it's almost like baseball in the fact that you've got to have an appreciation for the strategy, which is I think something that Josh is learning and 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 starting to figure out. But anyways, well. Man, we are glad to have you on. I'm sure this is not going to be the last time. Um, and so, uh, anyways, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This was fun talking G-Day and coaching as well as NFL draft. Should be an exciting night for Georgia for sure. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to see who else goes in this first round that wore the red and black this past year. That's going to be absolutely awesome. So uh, we'll let you go finish watching the draft, and we're going to go see uh, if maybe old Jordan Davis gets selected here in the next uh, few picks or so, which would be so stinking cool. Um, But uh, God bless you, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. I appreciate it. See you, All right, let's get started talking about some NASCAR. And, and Josh, I know that you can attest to this because you've been keeping up with it. You text me all the time uh, that you're watching races. I'll, I'll be sitting in like Bible studies on Sunday evenings because I can't get I can't get to the TV and watch a race. I'm I'm at church or something, and uh, I'm getting texts from you going, "Wow, what a race! Like this is awesome!" And I'm just kind of like. Man, who would have thought we'd live in a world where Josh is keeping up the race, and I'm I'm not <laughs> able to. So um, it's been so cool to watch your 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 excitement for that grow. Um, what a season so far! Can we go ahead and talk about that? Man, it's been such a good season. Um, we now have uh, what are we now like eleven races in, ten, eleven races in, and yeah. we've got only two repeat winners, only two repeat winners, and William Byron who. A lot of people are saying he could be the future of Hendrick Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. Um, I mean, and dude looks got, like he's twelve, but he does. Future of the sport. <laughs> but he could be. He could be the future of Hendrick Motorsports. Right. Um. You know, with this new car, yeah, Kyle Larson, he's won, but he's not consistently been running up front the way that he did last year. No. Um. One thing to keep in mind, he did not get his. Now remember, he won ten races last year. Ten. That's a quarter of the season. Ten. That's over a quarter of the season. Yes, that is. He won ten races on a thirty-six race schedule. Mm -hmm. Now, he won his second race of the season at the end of May, Memorial Day weekend at the Coca-Cola Six Hundred. I was there. Made uh, Hendrick Rick Hendrick the number one uh, winningest uh, owner in NASCAR history. And Kyle Larson has one race this year. If he were to win Dover this weekend, then he would be off to a better start win-wise than he was last year, which is kind of weird to think about the fact that we are over 10 races into the season and he's only got one win. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have to talk about that we haven't talked about yet is the fact that 
Alex Bowman has a win. Kyle Larson has a win. William Byron has a win. Two wins. except... And Chase Elliott has yet to get to victory lane since the July 4th uh, weekend race last year at... uh, Where were they racing last year? It was Road America. Road America. Closing in on a year. We are getting there. We are getting there quicker than I think even Chase Elliott is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're going to a track this weekend that he has won at before. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly not out of the question that he could win there. Um, he won there on strategy. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I certainly would have liked for him to have already won a race this uh, at this point in the season. Um, but there's still a lot of season left to go a lot of things that can happen. And I think we can take uh, confidence in the fact that he is the points leader. He hasn't won a race, but he is the points leader. And if the playoffs were to start right now, he would be, and I could be wrong, I've got to go back and look at this, but he would be first in points. Yes. Even with the playoff points, you say, oh, well, how's that? Because... I mean, I don't even know if he's won a stage yet this year, so he doesn't have any, you know, playoff points from that. And you get five playoff points when you win a race, and he hadn't done that. So how would he be first? Well, the regular season champion who finishes first in points, you don't need to have any wins to be the regular season champion. Regular season champion gets 15 added to their total. And I don't think anyone's got 15 yet. William Byron uh, or, you know, um, one of those guys with two wins, Ross Chastain. Uh, Ross Chastain, I don't think, has won any stages other than What a surprise. Ross Chastain. The surprise of the – I mean, so, yeah, you're not surprised. Did anybody think that we'd be sitting here – we're in April – and Trackhouse Racing has two wins? I mean, I didn't think that. Yeah. I and mean, I certainly thought it would be a little bit more. I'm not surprised that he's a winner at this point. Right. And after he won at uh, Coda, I'm not surprised that he's turned around and won again. Again, Talladega, though, is a track that really anybody um, who has a good strategy could win. You know, you go there, there are 38 drivers or so, 40 drivers if if it's a full field. And uh, of those 40 um, 32 of them could probably legitimately contend at the end for a win. And this was just one of those races where you had about 20 cars there at the front of the field with a shot there going into the last lap. Um, and, you know, that was an incredible finish. Um, and I think it was good for his conscience, too. A lot of people give him a hard time because he, yeah, he spun somebody to get his last win. I, I give him credit. I think it was a clean move. He got pushed, and he pushed someone else. Rubbins racing. Rubbins racing, and uh, <laughs> sometimes you, you spin them and win them. <laughs> right. And he Dale you know, did it, it for years. And I mean, yeah. so oh. it's just one of those situations where I'm I'm okay with it. it, it mm. It's cool, and I think Ross is okay with it too because he understands that he could get payback at any point, but he's just kind of one of those guys who wants to be on the giving side more than the receiving side, and that's up to him. If he's going to be that way. So, well, and, and then, it, it, it's different, too, if you have a driver who's in his position at the end of a race. Last lap of the race, all rules all of... All bets of, are off. Yeah, all, all bets are off. Like, you're going to do whatever you have to do, yeah. especially if you're in a top five, to push whoever's in front of you out of the way. And but so. guys who wreck people at the beginning of a race, like Stenhouse, Keselowski, yeah. drivers like that, if you're wrecking somebody in stage one on yeah. purpose... You got a problem. Now, let's, let's talk about <laughs> this. Now, different. first of all, again, it's cool 
Chastain has a clear conscience winning this race because he didn't wreck anyone to do it, mm-hmm. and, and it was just a clean finish. Now, can we talk about the fact, did you see where, uh, where, gosh, it was uh, Keselowski's trying to get back on the lead lap. Did you watch him as he was pushing his old teammate Logano? Mm-hmm. Um, and Logano, did you see how loose Logano got? Yes. That was sketchy, yeah. man. I yeah. mean, you, can you yeah. imagine Logano's looking up and he's like, oh, this is a former teammate. We're the same manufacturer. We're at a plate race. He's going to take it easy on me. Whoa. Oh, man. He hit me a little bit. Okay. Man, all right. Yeah, he's just, that was an accident. He's like looking up in this mirror like, all right, he's, he's going to take it. Whoa. God. Whoa. We're going. He's yeah. not playing. He's not playing. <laughs> and so, uh, Keselowski beat the tar out of him. And I, I'm not going to lie. That's been one of the biggest disappointments, I think, of the year is how far off the pace still that RFK has, has been tracking. Um, even even at these tracks where it's like, man, you, you've got an opportunity to do something, and it's not even that their speed is that far off. It's full race execution has just been awful mm-hmm. this year. Another driver that I'm not going to lie has been a pretty decent disappointment. I think we can both talk about this. This is something that a year ago I would have still been saying, give him a chance. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, man, he's had some chances. And his teammate with the same equipment his teammate with the same is doing equipment a lot is better. having a lot of success. <laughs> not winning races, but he's finishing in the top 10. Consistently. Um, well, even if not consistently, he's he's making himself known. Um, man, Bubba Wallace is struggling this year. Mm. Uh, he He's just... Um, and he's struggling. And he'll run well in the restrictor plate races. Uh, there, he was I mean, even near the front at Talladega. Then he went, the then he went stage one. He won a stage. Yes, he did. He yeah. won stage one. And so yeah. he's he's definitely good at plate tracks. Um, but, man, Bristol Dirt did not treat him well and really neither have a lot of the races this season. Right. And it's just been sad to watch really because mm-hmm. I I had a lot of hope for this guy to go out and succeed in that 23 car for Michael Jordan but I think it's safe to say that uh the guy who gets the next win for um for you know Michael Jordan is going to be more than likely Kurt Busch and the question that's going to be the question that's going to come is you know hey will it will it be a situation where Kurt now becomes the face of the company and 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 Bubba's left looking for another ride. I don't. I don't think. I think. I think this is the last chance for Bubba. Um, I don't think anyone else gives him another, at least a decent cup ride. Mm. I, I don't. I don't think if you're Rick Hendrick, if you're Joe Gibbs, if you're. I mean, if you're Joe Gibbs, you've got a lot on your plate with some other driver negotiations that you're you're working through right now. So I just this it, it's now or never. It, mm. It's it's you win where you're at or you don't win at all. And he might still be shown some grace after the first season with a new car. But if by the end of next year he's running the same, I'm sorry. But uh, I think that's the end of his his uh, competitive career in NASCAR. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about this. We can't ignore it. Um, Kyle Busch is at the end of his contract with Joe Gibbs this year, and he has not yet received a contract extension. M&M's is leaving the sport for the – golly, I mean – after, I mean, they've been there since I've been alive. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, I think it back to uh, like Ken Schrader back in the day at the Pontiac. You know that that thirty six car um, with the M and M's on it, and then through the years, Elliot Sadler driving it, and then you know ultimately it being Kyle Busch's ride ever since um, really two thousand eight. 
And so with M&M's leaving the sport, Joe Gibbs uh, is lacking in the sponsorship department for Kyle Busch. Now, he has other sponsors, um, one of them being, uh, gosh, what was the uh, – Interstate Batteries is still sponsoring the 18 car, mm-hmm. um, like since the early 90s. Um, I believe so. I believe Bobby Labonte back in the day, right? Um, Dale Jarrett back in the day. Dale Jarrett, then Bobby Labonte. Yeah, so, um, you know – that interstate's been loyal to the 18 for a long time. Now, interstate is not the primary source of income for this for team. Sure. So they've got to find something new. One of two things has to happen. Kyle Busch is either going to – now, if Kyle Busch said, hey, I'm willing to come back for half the pay, because let's just be real, Kyle Busch is loaded. Um, if he were to come back with half the pay, he he could have a ride right now at Joe Gibbs Racing. But Joe Gibbs has an interesting dilemma. Who are his drivers right now? Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, and Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin still has some racing left in him, and I don't believe that this is a contract year for him, so you can mark him down as safe. All right. Truex is getting Truex up there. Truex is getting up there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a contract year for him. Mm-hmm. The two that I've heard that it could be, I know for a fact it's Kyle Busch and potentially Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell's been running pretty decent. Very he, good. Um, he, you know, he, still he waiting on got him. Got the pole for Talladega. Yeah, so he's, he's he's won some stages. He's he's been running okay, and so I I don't think and he's still he's still early in his career. Mm-hmm. He's gonna have the opportunity to go and have success in the future. Yeah. He's already yeah. got a race win. Uh, his second race with Joe Gibbs, he put the car in victory lane. So he's you know they're gonna have some patience with him, but you get the two of them. And then who do you have in the Xfinity Series running a Joe Gibbs car that is absolutely going off right now as a teenager? You're talking about um, Ty, Ty Gibbs. Gibbs. Yeah. You've got three drivers worthy of cup rides, and you've got two cars. Somebody's going to be out. Something's got to give. And so <laughs> and so Kyle Busch, you know, he was asked in an interview, he said, uh, you know, hey, Kyle, um, are you coming back to Joe Gibbs next year? And he goes, you know, I'm just kind of waiting on the contract to sign. You know, it's like if they offer me the contract and I'll sign it. If not, then goodbye. And they said, so goodbye's an option. He's like, we'll see. And so, I mean, that sounds that's, like something. That's kind of a, a, a kick to the groin to the, the team that gave you your big break. When, when Rick Hendrick didn't want to put up with your crap anymore, mm-hmm. and, and you go and you join this team and you win two championships and 50 some odd races. Mm-hmm. Um, with this team, I mean, it's just kind of like, man, you just kind of shot yeah. them down and, and just kind of kicked them to the curb. Right. And you're not doing a whole lot to make them want you to come back. And I'm just going to be real with you. There is a Kyle Busch 2.0 named Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series that's going to be chomping at the bit for a cup ride come next uh, season. Now, I still think that Ty Gibbs could be in the Xfinity Series for one more year to let him develop, um, just honestly, with his maturity, but then also to <laughs> just develop well, that'd as a be a good again. That'd be a good fit for Kyle Busch. I know, right? Because the way Kyle Busch is and then Ty Gibbs with yeah. trying to pick a fight with the guy while wearing a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that you could see Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series one mm-hmm. more year because what that would do is give uh, him an opportunity to drive maybe five races um, for, you know, some smaller team in the Cup Series just to get his feet wet and in the door in the Cup Series before he comes in full-time. Um, and then I could see him driving the 19 full-time 
uh, and after you know someone like Martin Truex Jr. were to say, "Hey, I'm I'm retiring at the end of 23 and 24." All right, Ty Gibbs has the 19. That's his ride. But you know what else I could see? I could see Kyle Busch going. You know what other seats are open after this year? What's that? Eric Almirola is retiring at the end of the season. That's right. That 10 Stuart Haas car is going to need a driver. Mm-hmm. So you could see Kyle Busch make the switch to Ford. But Kyle Busch owns, with Toyota, Kyle Busch Motorsports in the truck series, the team. And so how is that going to affect his truck series team? Toyota has done so much for Kyle Busch. It would be very difficult for him to leave Toyota. There's a lot more on the line than just money. So I think you could see him make a more realistic deal and come back to Joe Gibbs. Um, but long story short, Ty's got to go somewhere. And I would have a hard time believing that he's not going to race for Grandpa. Yep. Yep. It'd, so. be, a, it'd be a good fit. I We also need to bring light. You're talking about Kyle Busch. Um, so the biggest heartbreak of the season so far, in my opinion, was Tyler Reddick. At Bristol, that, that was, was a heartbreaker. And I know it was my pick, by the that, way. That was race. that was your pick. Kent especially was going for uh, for. Ty Can we Reddick talk about to... the fact that Chase Elliott there in the last run at Bristol Dirt, he ran his way from in the twenties all the way up to eighth. Yep, that was, that was pretty, pretty impressive too. Pretty awesome, right? But but seeing the way that Tyler Reddick, he was so close. That was his first win. That would have been his. Would have could have should have been his first win and, and a lot of people are, are saying well if Briscoe wouldn't have spun him out these guys were on dirt and when and you're on dirt you can't control it. you you is the well, last he lap he could have controlled it yeah, Briscoe's he, better he, but it's the last lap like you said, said you're you're want, you're ready to go it's the last he lap. had he had run him down he wasn't about right. to just let him get away right. from making some sort of contact the only difference is a bump and run on Bristol when it's in dirt is going to result in a spin and that's exactly what was going right. to happen because um, you're on dirt yeah right well, actually, it's not exactly what we saw happen. He actually he got in underneath them, and then he lost it and hit Reddick. If but uh, man, if Reddick would have just turned right, right, Kyle Busch would have pushed him across right. the line, and he would have won the race. But what we ended up seeing was uh, the same guy that always backs into every win that he gets backed into yet another win. And Kyle Busch, right? Yeah, that's right. Kyle Busch backed <laughs> into that, didn't he? Oh, the pot calls the kettle black, doesn't that it? That was so I guess, awesome. I guess every win that and Kyle... You know what he got on the car and said? What's that? Doesn't matter how you get him as long as you win him. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a fan. They, I know yeah. there, there's a lot of people that aren't a fan of Kyle Busch because of his mouth. Yeah, I, I'll take him as, as, a, as a... He's, he's a... a Pretty arrogant fellow, yeah. in my opinion. Well, he honestly, and, I'm just gonna be real with you. Calbush has not been winning enough lately to to really uh, leave that much of a dent in the sport when he retires. Right. I don't think a whole lot of people are gonna miss him, and that's the difference. That's right. the difference in a Jeff Gordon. He retires, and even the ones who hated him missed him. Tony Jimmy Johnson, Stewart, Tony Stewart, Dale Junior. That's right. The, the guys that you hate. Or the guys that hated these drivers mm. hated to see them go because they're such. It's it's deeper than just winning. It's you see that number in the racing world. That's Tony Stewart. That's Jim Jump. To this day, Alex Bowman is in the forty-eight. William Byron's in the twenty-four. In my opinion, twenty-four is Jeff Gordon. Forty-eight is Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Twenty, Tony Stewart. That's the, that's right. what we grew up on, and that, that that and three you know three being Dale Senior, but. It's it's about like the impact that you leave on the sport more so than 
than just winning races. It's about doing so in a manner where people want to see you succeed. And if you're not doing so in a manner people want to see you succeed, then you wind up being uh, on the on the wrong side of things like, like Kyle Busch is. Uh, He's just so sour about everything that goes on. So negative. Did you, did you hear what he said about Bristol Dirt before they raced it? Yeah. Yeah, he, he hated it. He said, uh, just like just Norris Richard Petty, dirt moves the sport backwards. And then yeah. he won dirt, and then he didn't think that anymore after he won. I ain't went on any service there is. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. You can run third, and you can get lucky. Um, you know, I, I recently, I know it's not the same. I recently was on iRacing. I'm racing at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and I, I've got footage of it on my phone. I'll have to show you, Josh, when we get done with this here. I may even post it if I if I can find it. Um, I was running third. And I was the third fastest out there on the track. I'm not going to lie. I was the third fastest. Um, going into the last lap, the leaders were battling. They reckoned turn one. Both of them. I split the gap, come home and get the win. I, as soon as I crossed the start-finish line, I keyed up on the radio. And you know what I said? What and all the drivers can hear me at this point. Um, I said, thank you, guys. <laughs> I said, y'all, y'all made me the luckiest guy on iRacing today because I, I admitted the fact that had they not had happened what happened, um, had they not gotten that wreck, I was not going to win that race. Right. And, uh, you know, you would have thought at least Kyle Busch would have just kind of gotten out and been like, man, thank you, Briscoe. Y'all <laughs> guys, y'all were fashioning me today, but uh, right. Tyler Reddick, you did nothing wrong. You just got taken out. Briscoe, thank you for being dumb and, and doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, he just kind of Man, I'm the best there, and I just um, he does not do a, he's not a good does he does not do a good job of being a villain. He does not have a you know that that fun personality to watch as a villain. He he just is a I don't know. He's just annoying. Yeah. Like, and I'm sorry. Like, I know he he tries to be the villain. And I tried to back it up for a long time. Say, oh man, he's mm. good for the sport. Man, it's just getting to a point where it's just old. It's the same old stuff. Right. You know exactly. He is the most predictable driver in the garage. Kyle yes. Busch is the most predictable driver yes. in the garage in both what he's going to say and the way he is going to race. Right. And I think that's a part of the reason that he's not winning anymore. And I also think that's part of the reason that people are just so sick of him. Right. It's not. I mean, if Kyle Busch for some reason listen to this, Kyle Busch, you you are not disliked anymore because you're winning every race because you're not. Kyle Busch, people don't like you anymore because your personality is no longer original. It seems almost scripted. It seems like you're trying to read off of a cue card that your wife wrote you for an Instagram story that she's posting. That's what it looks like. And, and you know, I, I used to get on the bandwagon and say, man, Kyle Busch is a great thing for the sport. Mm -hmm. In 2017, absolutely. Yes. In 2022, no. No, I wouldn't miss him if he retired tomorrow. No. Will he go down as one of the for most sure. talented to for ever sure. drive a race car? For sure. Absolutely. absolutely. No doubt in my mind. And, and see, in my, I grew up with the 18 was Bobby Labonte. You know, you, you mentioned um, before Bobby Labonte driving the 18 car. Del Jarrett. Del Jarrett. And so... You get used to these different numbers, but now that memory has been replaced by, if I think of 18, I think of Kyle Busch. Right. I think that he's one of the better drivers in the sport. Do I think he's going to go in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Definitely. You think he will? I mean, I, you think would, about it, drivers who have done less are in the Hall of right. Fame. Right. I would, Kyle I would, Busch is a Hall of Fame. I would consider him top 20. 
Maybe top 15 drivers of all time, maybe. And and talent-wise, right. I, I put him in the top 10, talent-wise. Right. Um, he's not in the top 10 list, I believe, with wins. He might right. be. He actually, he really might be. I'd have to go back or at least and top I'll 15 either way. Um, but but nonetheless, yeah. what what I'm saying is, we're not taking away anything from talent wise from him. It's 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 the attitude that comes with that. Instead of being grateful, because look, whether it comes to NASCAR, uh, the MLB, the NFL, NBA, whatever sport it may be that that, that these professional athletes are involved with, you have the greatest job in the world. Your job is only to play your game, race in your race, do this task that you do professionally every day, and you make millions. You are a millionaire at the very least. You're making a quarter, a half a million annually to play a game. And so that, that that's why so many people seem to come after all these athletes whenever if you have something negative to say to people who are working normal jobs what you would call your average joe uh similar to Kyle Bush where 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 you have all these things to to be grateful for and be thankful for yes you've earned it yes you've gotten to where you've gotten from your own doing but when you get to that point don't forget to turn around and say you know what i'm blessed to be in a position that I'm in. So I'm not going to be sour. I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to to be a non-desirable person because I know how blessed I am to live the life that I live. And uh, and and when you're talking, when you're trying to attract the, the next generation of NASCAR drivers, of NFL players, of Major League Baseball players, um, if you're trying to attract the next generation, you need to have a better set of standards for what would be considered a role model for these kids that are up and coming. I know. So So I'm not surprised by this. Um, Kyle Busch is the winningest active driver in NASCAR. I can see that. Um, Two more wins than Kevin Harvick. Okay. Uh, Kyle Busch is ninth on the all-time win list. Yep. He will not finish in the top ten all-time in NASCAR. I'm confident that... Um, you know, you could have somebody sneak up there and get them. You look at the talented drivers who are, you know, below. I mean, every record could be broken. But I think of somebody who, you know, like Kyle Larson, who coming into last season only had six career wins before the start of the 2021 season. He has 17 career wins now. And so, and how old uh, is Kyle Larson? Uh, Kyle Larson is young. I don't know how old he is, but he I'd is, say upper twenties probably. He's about your age, yeah. Yeah, upper twenties. Yeah, so um, he's, you know, Chase Elliott is between us. He's got thirteen career wins, and you know they haven't been coming as fast as they had been, um, you know, about twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, but they still are coming, um. And so you, you've got these guys who are winning races now, and it's just kind of like, man, they're going to keep catching up. Um, he will be in the top ten for a long time to come, for sure. But anyways, that's that's where Kyle Busch is currently at right now. The next driver on his list to catch and pass in the all-time win list is Dale Earnhardt, who has 76 wins. Dale Earnhardt is eighth on the list overall. How many does Kyle have? 60. 16 wins. You think he'll hit 16 more wins? You know, if he... I mean, right now, you'd have to look at it this way. How many is he averaging a season? 
about 1.5 over the last few years. So say best best case scenario. So is two, he going to race 12 more years? No. Then he's not going to get no. to. Dylan. I don't. I don't think Kyle race. What was Kyle in his mid 30s, upper 30s, something like that. I wouldn't see him going. I'd say probably about seven, eight years tops, something like that. I think he's got five. Yeah. Right. He could still even win another championship. I don't think he's going to catch Dale Earnhardt in the all-time win list. No, I don't think so either. So, uh, I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic for sure, though, and it'll be kind of cool to to watch and, and see if he's able to do anything with it. But, uh, you know, after that, then you have Kale Yarborough, Jimmy Johnson, and Daryl Waltrip all. Uh, actually, no, Kale Yarborough and Jimmy Johnson tied with 83. And then you have Bobby Allison and Daryl Waltrip tied with 84. And the next one in third place by himself. I was there when he got win number 85, Jeff Gordon with 93 wins. With 105 wins, David Pearson. And then we all know Richard Petty. The king. The king. Yeah. Let's take this conversation in a different direction. We were just talking about an Arnhart. Can we talk a little bit about Jeffrey Arnhart's weekend at Talladega? Yeah. Um... So let's also talk about the fact that the guy who was calling the shots for him on the pit box was the same guy who won the Daytona 500 with Dale on the pit box. Everyone knows him as America's crew chief. Larry Mack, Larry McReynolds, returned to the pit box. How cool was that? That was like like we went to Tom Hort. It really was. So we have... An Earnhardt and a black number three car starting to pole at Talladega. With Larry McReynolds. With Larry McReynolds, the crew chief. It was like, are we in... For RCR. Is this 1997? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, year? For real. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Larry Mack had a couple of years with Earnhardt in that three car there in the late 90s and did a phenomenal uh, job getting him the Daytona 500. Now, I actually, I think the Daytona 500 was the only race that he won with Dale Earnhardt. That's right. That's but still... Um, how cool was it to see him on the pit box with Jeffrey Arnhart? Jeffrey, uh, he almost pulled it out. Man, he was close. All right, let's talk about that last lap. Uh, mm-hmm. That last restart, he restarts eighth. Mm-hmm. The outside line gets jammed. Allgaier runs out of gas on the restart of all times, but there's no wreck. Everyone stays in line and they get restarted. That puts him in third on the outside lane. And, and then it's just on. It's just organized mass. No, it's not organized. It's just mass chaos until they cross the line. But coming down the back straightaway, they're on that last lap, watching that three car go from he, – he started that last lap in sixth. So watching him go from sixth to fifth to fourth to third – the second, it was like he's gonna do it. Like he's, he's gonna get a do shot, it. man. And then no. just ran out of time. He just needed yeah. about a hundred more yards to build a run, and he could have got him. But mm. um, just the coolest thing, uh, shades of Dale Earnhardt. Shades. Yep. He made Grandpa proud. He made Dale Earnhardt Nation proud. I mean, I was a Gordon fan. I, I did not like Earnhardt, but. I'll admit, I got chills watching that black number three mm. charge through the field on the last lap. What was it like? I mean, your dad pulled for Arnhart. Yeah, you pulled I, for I grew Arnhart. Up, I grew up tried and true. I was on the other side of the coin. You were, you were Gordon, tried yeah. true, born and raised. I was Arnhart, tried so, true, born and raised. So tell me, what was it like watching that? 
It was. It was. I don't know. I, I've never watched. I'll, I'll be honest. I've never watched Xfinity race all the way through. I watched that one. That was the first one. All the way life. through. All the way through. I didn't need the first get a time to watch it all the way through. Yeah, that's so cool. And and the reason for that. So there's two reasons for that. First off, my wife was out of town, and I was babysitting our daughter. And so I mean, when you have a one year old, and uh, the race is on, then you're just gonna watch the race. Yeah. And uh, and and I watched it. That was the first reason. The second reason is because if Jeffrey Earnhardt wouldn't have been in that race, and if all of the different things that made that race special. Uh, for the Earnhardt name wouldn't have been going on, I wouldn't have watched it. I watched that race all the way through specifically because of because of the situation, Jeffrey Earnhardt. And also, I read this today. That is the highest watched Xfinity race. Oh, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. You may have to fact check me on this. I may be I may be misspoken. I believe that is the highest watched Xfinity race. And NASCAR race period in quite some time. I can't remember the exact number. Since the uh, 2017 season opener. Yes. Think about that. So it's been five years. Xfinity, the highest watched. Think about that. Think about the ripples. That shows how important the Earnhardt name is to the NASCAR sport. And what, what makes Earnhardt, everyone talks about, you know, why was Dale Earnhardt such a big name? First off, his driving style. He was really the first one, the intimidator. He he was he was the first one to really push that almost respectful fear aspect of you have to always be looking over your shoulder or looking in your mirror because you don't know who's coming behind you and and it could be him and I mean the dude could put you in a wall on the last lap and and win the race and Rubens racing like we said earlier and. And and the Earnhardt name is so big too because of the because of the crash because he he did so many things for the sport of NASCAR and his son Junior carried on the his name Junior was nowhere near as successful as Senior but because of his name he carried that weight and the same thing with Jeffrey his last name obviously it was Earnhardt and that's what brought so much publicity to that and so it was special to me because it was it was like going back to my childhood. And, and, and it was like kind of getting to relive as an adult something that I haven't seen since I was a kid myself. Yeah. And now I have a kid of my own that I got to experience that with. And so it was it was special to me. And uh, and, and, I, and I, I wish Jeffrey Earnhardt a lot of success. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that any time that there's an Earnhardt involved in the NASCAR sport, whether I don't care if it's Junior in the booth, I don't care if it's Junior racing – truck series or the Xfinity series or, or if it's if it's uh Jeffrey Earnhardt. Yeah. Whoever it might be, as long as that Earnhardt is involved with the sport of NASCAR, I think it does it good because of what that name carries to the sport. No right. Well let's go ahead and move on to our next segment really quick. We're gonna go through I'm actually um just gonna have one of these. We're gonna do hit the gas, pump the brakes. I just wanna kinda get your okay. um opinion on this really quick and then we need to do picks then we do need to do picks all right so hit the gas pump the brakes which by the way i did learn i stole that from nascar pre-race on fox no copyright intended so um (laughs) (laughs) so uh we'll go ahead and uh hit the gas pump the brakes and the topic we're going to do is this uh bristol on dirt cody Ware, all right gets spun by chase elliott racing for position in the far back 20s. It seemed like he was holding up Chase. Chase got frustrated and just maybe drove it in a little bit too hot. It also seemed like Cody Ware could have 
been in the wrong place, wrong time. In terms of positioning, you're sliding around on dirt. He might. It looked like he could have been coming down the track. Chase was coming up at the same time. Didn't look intentional, but he definitely was turned by the nine. His crew chief comes over the radio and says, he was just upset because he had nothing for you. Cody Ware, Rick Ware Racing in the 51 car that has not finished on the lead lap in a race in a long time. Frustrated at Chase Elliott. All right, here's the here's the hit the gas, pump the brakes. He tries to wreck Chase Elliott under the next caution. Hit the gas, pump the brakes. Like, do I agree or disagree? Yeah, Is that you what agree. you should have done that? N- that's stupid. We're on dirt at th- at this point in time. We're on dirt. Dirt is so unpredictable, and the way that Chase made his maneuver on him, it's rubbing his racing. Going after someone when when you when you're racing, if you're maliciously going after somebody, putting them in a wall, uh, trying to make their life flash before their eyes because you're mad at them, that's one thing. If you're trying to get around them, the guy's blocking. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're sliding around on dirt, which is unpredictable to begin with, and you hit him. That's the sport. That's NASCAR. And so for 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 Cody Ware to come over there under caution, and decide he wants to clip. Chase, I saw that replay the next morning. I didn't see that live. I saw the replay the next morning, and I was thinking, what an idiot. Like what that, an idiot. That, 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 that's such a dumb thing to do because here's the thing. At least if you were going full speed, you could say, well, uh, I slid. You yeah. know what I mean? But it was under caution. So, like, there, there's yeah. no doubt. No, and he was definitely <laughs> did on purpose, and, and everyone knew that. Um, right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely uh, pumping the brakes on that too because the point of the matter is this. Um, Chase finished in the top 10. Cody Ware, I think he might have finished in the top 30. Might have on the tail end of the lead lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody Ware, you um, are definitely having a better season than you've had in a long time. Uh, but uh, sorry, bud, you're, you're, yeah. You, I'm more spot, like, I'm, I'm more against what his spotter told him. He's just upset because he had nothing for you. I, I, really, Hendrick Motorsports had nothing for Ware. Rick Ware Racing. <laughs> Mister, we going to run another 50 laps and blow an engine. And I don't know. I just. And then this week, Cody Ware spins out and does donuts on pit road under green because he can't get going. I mean, he just makes some pretty dumb mistakes. He just needed to get out there and run a clean race and prove, hey, we can stay with the pack at Talladega. So I'm trying to be so emotional. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. just race. Yeah. Just, just race. Just go. Oh. <laughs> we need to get you on our racing. Oh, I'll show you emotional. Even on the computer, people get ticked. All right. So let's go ahead. Let's make our picks. For those of y'all who haven't been keeping up, um, or you know, just for the fact of the matter that we haven't been keeping y'all up with it. So, um, right now as it stands, um, now I had gotten out to a pretty hefty lead, um. Maybe even a four race leader, so it, it was five. Like it was five one. It was five zero. It was five zero. Yep. Right now, it is currently six to four. So I'm holding the lead, but man, Josh has closed it in. So uh, I did stretch it out just a little bit more. Um, I picked Tyler Reddick at Bristol, and he finished second, even though he was spun. He still I got picked, back across. I picked Austin Cindric just because I like to stick to my bad. Decisions. And Austin Cindric was absolutely awful. And yep. uh, then you know I picked Ryan Blaney for Talladega. You picked Chase Elliott. Uh, Ryan and Chase both ran up there towards the front the whole race. Ryan was leading late uh, at one point, and I thought he had a shot at it, and he just kind of let me down. 
Um, but ultimately, Chase finished seventh, and I believe that Ryan Blaney finished. I know he finished just outside the top ten. It was about twelfth or so. So you won that one to give you your fourth win of the year, six to four. We're gonna go ahead and make our picks for Dover. All right, so I'm up first since I'm the loser, and I'm gonna make my pick the forty eight of Alex Bowman. Bowman the Showman. Uh, Bowman the Showman, he won there last year, and I think that he is going to have an excellent race this week. Who you got? First off, who do you think I'm going to pick? I if you had like to pick right now, who am if, I If I had to guess who you're going to pick right now, I'm going to guess that you'd say Kyle Larson, but I could also see you, after the conversation we just had, picking Kyle Busch. Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Tyler Reddick. He, uh, I was leaning towards Kevin Harvick because he has a few wins at Dover over the years. Kevin Harvick's not having a good year. He's struggling. He's struggling. He's, it's not the equipment. He's in good equipment. I think Chase awesome. Elliott broke him. Yeah. Man, I don't know. Maybe he did. But either, either way, I think Tyler Reddick keeps getting so close. Yeah. Like, it seems like every race is just creeping a little bit. Same thing with Chase Briscoe. Remember, Chase Briscoe kept getting close, 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 close. And he finally broke through at, uh, where is it, in Phoenix? Is that where Briscoe won? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so he finally broke through there. So I think that same thing with Tyler Reddick. I, uh, I can see him. He did good at Bristol, uh, the short track, even though it was on dirt. Uh, and you got another short track with uh, a short track that drives like a big track at uh, at Dover, and so I, I could see uh, Tyler Reddick pulling it home. So you got oh, you're asking me where yes. my pick was? Oh yeah, yeah. Alex Bowman, <laughs> Alex, Alex Bowman. Bowman, Alex Bowman. I got Tyler Reddick. All right, we'll yeah, see who finishes ahead of each other, and uh, we'll update that uh, or y'all on that next week. Uh, still looking forward to getting old uh, Clayton on the show here soon. We're going to make that happen mm-hmm. here in the next week or so, and he'll be able to talk Georgia football and NASCAR with us. Um, I'm really looking forward to chat with him uh, leading up to the Darlington race because uh, as a, I believe he is an employee of Exalta who sponsors William Byron's car. William Byron is running a paint scheme uh, throwback tribute to Jeff Gordon's 2007 Flames at Darlington. At Darlington, and I absolutely cannot wait to see that butte on track. That car is my childhood, and I can't wait to see it in action. So, if only we see a black Goodwrench, Jim Goodwrench, black car Jim Goodwrench. I don't think we're gonna see that this so. this year. But uh, you, I don't know. You, you never know what Austin. Dillon's if Austin Dillon came be. out of the car like that, I'm Austin Dillon fan. I, I kind of want to go ahead and look up and see what his <laughs> throwback is gonna be right now. So let's see here, Austin because Dillon. that kind of a throwback. If you're in a three car. And we're talking about throwback weekend. There is only one avenue to take. Well, okay, so maybe there's two. You either got a blue and yellow Wrangler car, or you have a black GM Goodwrench car, right? It's gonna be one. Of those I two. mean, there's a there's lot not really anybody of else. Others. I mean, he's they've done different things in the past. Um, let's see here. Didn't uh, didn't Dale Earnhardt? He had what, what was that? He had a was it. It was either like Looney Tunes or Space Jam or something like that that he had on his paint scheme that like one race. Remember what I'm talking about? It was like something uh, odd. Yes. Yeah, I mean he's he's had something like that before. I'm or sure. maybe maybe I think like Tasmanian or Taz or something like that. Either way, it was like a Looney Tune uh reference or something like that. I'm I'm willing to bet I know you're looking it up now, but I'm willing to bet that uh he doesn't Austin Dillon probably doesn't really have anything special. I don't see anything yet. I mean they already people. They, they all they've already released something them. good, and right. they've released a lot of them. And the three is, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a, uh, 
one of the best looking ones on the track. They have not released anything yet for Darlington. So that would be sick if they could do something like that. I'm just saying. Yeah, so. I mean it would be the coolest thing. So, or if they could put like a instead of doing Alif or Alex Bowman, do like a Lowe's, or do like a Lowe's esque paint scheme. You know what I mean? For, yeah, like I the mean, old school for it, like the gray with the blue, yeah. the blue building outline. You know, it says Lowe's on the front. So. Well, you remember they did that a couple of years ago, uh, Jimmy Johnson's last year in uh, NASCAR. Uh, you know, there at the end of the season, um, when they got to Darlington, you had Chase Elliott running the throwback Lowe's paint scheme with Napa. You had Alex Bowman running a throwback Lowe's paint scheme in the '88, and you had. Uh, um, even what was William eighty? Byron, what was eighty eight? Was it still National Guard? Uh, no, it was. Oh shoot! Who was sponsoring? You remember whenever the eighty eight was Amp? You remember the energy drinks? Oh, that was such a good car. <laughs> that was such back a good when Dale Junior started driving it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna look up here really quick who these uh, throwback um, cars are for Hendrick Motorsports. So then we're going to close out this podcast because this has been a long one and yeah. we've chased some rabbit trails, but man, this has been an absolute blast. It's we're been the first one in a long time. Have you along for the ride. Yeah. Um, all right. So his sponsor for this one was actually something a little weird. It was, uh, it was truck hero, um, Chevy goods and truck hero, uh, was his sponsor. He ran the 2006-2007 Napa throwback. Chase Elliott's, or Napa, uh, Lowe's throwback. Um, and then uh, Chase Elliott ran like the 2009-10, like that era, Lowe's throwback. Um, and then there was a Lowe's paint scheme that he ran uh, around Memorial Day weekend one year. And it was white with navy blue pinstripes and stars on it and stuff like that. That's what they felt like would fit the Liberty University logo on, uh, you know, um, William Byron's 24 car. So that's what they put on his car for that throwback. They all paid tribute to Jimmy Johnson. And then you had the 48, who actually was a blend of Richard Petty and Dell Sr. I don't know if you remember that throwback or not. Do you remember seeing that one on track? Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Wow. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And he actually, he wore... Um, I, I believe he grew his mustache out and wore um, a pair of just like aviators senior. that actually I believe he got from Dale Jr. that belonged to Senior. He borrowed a pair of Senior's old aviators. Wow. I'm like 90% sure. And then he wore a hat that looked like Richard Petty. Richard Petty. So, I mean, it's just so cool. But anyways, <laughs> all right, we're going to go ahead and close this one out here. Thank y'all so much for listening. So glad to have y'all on. Uh, we've got a lot of things planned for the future. Some guests that are going to be, uh, of course, coming on in the next week or so. And then uh, we always are trying to work on something exciting for y'all, something to look forward to in the future, some exciting things that could be in the works. So we'll be hoping that some things pan out and we have some good news to tell you soon. Yes, thank y'all so much for joining us. And we hope y'all have a good one. And like always, go, go dogs. dogs.